Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We are glad that you're here for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is waiting for you. Glad to have you as part of the conversation. We have good, bad, and crazy news for conservatives today. And Jim, we start with... Good news that is connected to still very bad news. There are still Americans stuck in Afghanistan. There are still legal permanent residents or green card holders stuck there. We think in much larger numbers. And, of course, Afghan allies, which we just learned yesterday, uh, were not evacuated in the numbers we were originally hoping for. So let's talk about the uh, the good news. And this was at the briefing over at the State Department yesterday. Uh, if you ever watch these briefings, you know that Matt Lee of the Associated Press Ask some pretty tough questions. Doesn't matter which party's in power. Doesn't matter what the issue. They're pretty probing questions. He's been around a long time, and he's not about to take an answer that doesn't actually address his question. And that's what happened uh, yesterday with Ned Price, the State Department spokesman. Pretty simple question from Matt Lee. How many green card holders are still there? I just want to drill down a little bit into this 100 to 200 that the who remain U.S. citizens. These are passport holders, right? This does not include LPRs? That is correct. Well, what's then, you must have some estimate of LPRs who are, who are still there, who want, to, who want to get out. And if you don't, why not? Ned Price then promptly launched into a two-minute answer that only talked about American citizens, and so Matt Lee had to cut him off and try again. I'm asking about green card holders, right. who you also have a responsibility to, along with the SIDs and other SIDs. But now I'm just asking about green card holders. Was there a decision made at some point to forget about those people and only allow U.S. passport holders in and onto into the airport through your checkpoints, not the Taliban checkpoints, but through your checkpoints and onto and onto planes? Because a lot of them feel like they, frankly, got screwed here and that they were lied to because they had been told by people on the task force, just what I mentioned to Toria, mm-hmm. that we know where you are, we're not gonna let you, we're not gonna strand you, uh, don't worry, stay tight, uh, hold tight. And, and, and now, you know, what do they do? I mean, are you in touch also with the green card holders? So Matt- In the last 24 hours? So let, let me start by saying we have a special responsibility to American citizens. And so he goes on to talk about the American citizens again. So try number three from Matt Lee. The family that I'm referring to and possibly the family that Homero is referring to, I mean, they were told, you guys do know. It, it defies logic to think that you guys don't have even a rough estimate of the number of LPRs who are, who are out there. And so then Ned Price says, well, we're not as confident about those numbers as we are about the citizens, so that's why we don't give you specific figures, which means, Jim, in reality, they either don't know or they really don't want us to know how big that number is. But uh, the good martini here, again, uh, as bad as Price's answers were, is a reporter who's doggedly trying to get the answer to a very important question, and uh, that's the way the media should work. Yeah, and you can almost feel like you can almost hear the stretching of what felt like long dormant muscles in the media over the last couple of weeks. Um, they had, you know, the, during the Trump years, there was this, you know, almost this reflexive belief that a government spokesman was lying to you. 
that the the facts on the ground were different from what they were saying. They needed to be challenged. They needed to be pushed back. They need you needed to see proof for what they were asserting. And anytime they were dodging a question, it usually meant the truth is bad. I've been trying to you know formulate this uh, another kind of Garrity's rule or something. And basically, the gist is that not just you know all statements from Barack Obama come with an expiration date, all of them, but also that people don't withhold exculpatory information. If there's something somebody won't tell you, it's probably bad news. It's never, oh, this is really so much better than we expected. We just don't want to share that information or something like that. <laughs> so there are two options. The first option is that the State Department does have either either they, I think it's pretty clear they don't know the exact number, um, but they have a good ballpark estimate of it. And it's a lot and they're bad. And the numbers of thousands that we're getting from refugee groups and international relief organizations sounds pretty plausible. Uh, or ultimately, the State Department has no idea how many Americans and how many green card holders are in a war zone. And, and that just seems mind boggling. And it really does point to the suggestion that uh, uh, this, you know, top to bottom, this administration really just was not uh, prepared at all. That They bought into what we all kind of sensed was an inaccurate assessment from Biden back on July 8th, that the Taliban was not going to take over in a matter of days and that the Afghan army was strong and reliable and all that stuff. Because you figure if you thought things were going to, you know, get really hairy there, you'd want to have an accurate headcount and you'd want to start formulating that. And my boss, Rich Lowry, had a good point in the good uh, post in the corner yesterday where he observed France started months ahead of us. See, so, you know, clearly they saw something. And the, the, the indication is, is that France did not feel nearly as invested in this narrative of don't worry, everything's going fine, that they just basically said, you know what, this is going really badly. We're going to get start getting our people out now. We don't care if the Americans are saying it's going to be fine and the Afghan government's going to be fine. And thus, France has many more of their citizens out, many more of their embassy staff out, and they're in much better shape than we were, that they were not plagued by a sense of denial. This mentality we see in this State Department briefing here of when you get asked about green card holders, you answer about citizens. And this desire to change the subject and this desire to muddy the distinctions and all that kind of stuff, it indicates that in the end, like, are they lying to us? Sure. But I think even more disturbingly, Greg, the idea that possibly they're lying to themselves, that in the end, they don't, they, they don't want to, they can't acknowledge how bad it is because they themselves don't want to grasp how bad it is because it means just how badly they failed. So anyways, like, you know, rare, you know, Credit Matt Lee and, and hope we see a lot more of it because my suspicion is this administration really wants Americans to forget that there are still Americans stranded over there. It's important that we point out good reporting because in just a moment, we're going to tell you about some reporting that's uh, kind of dodging the question as much as as, as uh, Ned Price was. But uh, for now, we'll uh, give Matt Lee kudos and tell you about uh, the fantastic options that you have for your garden, for your uh, home flower bed, or maybe even inside your house through fastgrowingtrees.com. When's the perfect time to plant trees or shrubs? Well, you might get some advice from the big box store experts, and they'll say, uh, anytime, but they don't really know. But the best time to plant is actually in the fall, which means now is the best time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com, which is the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines or messy cars or digging through a lackluster selection. You just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants, all expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. 
Whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, or just added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system, which means it's ready to explode with new growth come spring. I just got this huge box from FastGrowingTrees.com last night with our brand new plants. I uh, told you about our Benjamin Ficus experience earlier this year, uh, and now we have a lemon bush. Uh, it's very small at this point, but uh, we're hoping it'll give us lemons if we can if we can uh, do a good job raising this thing. We also got what's called a monstera, so the kids have named it Scary, and uh, also we have a fig leaf uh, tree, uh, fig tree, and so uh, that is uh, being named Figly by the kids, I believe. Um, it was just last night, so I'm not sure I've got all these uh, catchy names down. But uh, anyway, uh, love having them in the house. They look great. Uh, they came uh, very well packaged, and they're just ready to go with instructions on how to uh, make sure that they thrive. And now through November 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com martini for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com martini. Again, fastgrowingtrees.com slash martini all right jim i'm not sure how many of our listeners remember goofus and gallant remember those guys from uh, highlights magazine for children gallant always did things the proper and responsible way and gallant was very irresponsible so matt lee is gallant in today's edition of the uh, three martini lunch and then you've got uh, much of the rest of the media really in our second and third martinis, uh, taking on the role of Goofus. But as you point out at the uh, beginning of the morning jolt today, the media, as we feared yesterday, is pretty much just moving on from Afghanistan. They'll throw in a couple of stories here and there, uh, some of it about uh, you know what's happening with the uh, refugees as they come here. Very little, uh, at least compared to the last few weeks, about what's actually happening on the ground in Afghanistan. Instead, they're talking about other stories, which do matter, and they're big stories, like the Texas abortion law, uh, the, the flooding in the Northeast, the hurricane, and so forth. But uh, it's like a, a switch got flipped here, Jim, and it's just, okay, we're done with this. Let's go. Yeah, by the way, before we go any further, I just want to note, a lot of people wonder, whatever happened to Goofus and Gallant? Well, it turns out that Gallant became a consultant who approves drugs for the Food and Drug Administration. <laughs> um, he's very careful. He, he never lets anything go out the door that was 100% perfectly checked. You know, after six months, tons of data, reviewing the data, every, not a single I not dotted or T not crossed. Uh, ironically, Goofus, he runs a tech company out in Silicon Valley now. So, uh, <laughs> Just gonna let you know what, what the rule-breaking mentality can get you in life. Anyway, um, yeah, so I went online this morning and in addition to my usual spots, I just was curious about, okay, well, you know, the last US soldiers out of Afghanistan. And yes, you know, big news events have occurred. The Texas abortion law, I'm not gonna dispute, is a very big deal. Flooding and, and the rains in New York City's area, New Jersey, places like that, that's a very big deal. Um, wildfires in uh, California, the California recall. I'm not saying none of those stories matter, but it is interesting that after two straight weeks of Afghanistan being really front and center, Afghanistan is is generally now bottom of the front page, over in a box, a little in the corner, uh, not nearly as big. And then, of course, there were a couple of really kind of, I don't know if I want to say egregious examples. I don't know if I ever had particularly high expectations of uh, MSNBC, but I, I went on this morning and the lead story on MSNBC on their website was, what Jim Jordan's phone call to Trump on January 6th reveals about the GOP. That was, they're in, in the minds of, of MSNBC, that was the biggest deal when I logged on, probably around like a little after 7 a.m. this morning. Uh, if you go to Mimeo Random, which is a good site for kind of uh, aggregating what blogs are talking about, the top story was from the New York Times, 
Joe Rogan, a podcasting giant who has been dismissive of vaccination, has COVID. Uh, NPR, the top story after the Texas law, the second story was about these students grew up around gun violence. They decided it was time to talk about it. Um, LA Times, yeah, look, it's a California paper, so it's going to focus on California. But you know, California, like, there are, was it like 30-some students from California that are still trapped in Afghanistan? Nope, nope. Big story was South Tahoe wildfire, California recall. You had to go way down the webpage to find any news about Afghanistan. Now, I, I'm not, I don't know if I can say precisely, but it's just fascinating. Like you say, it's like, a, it's like a switch flipped. You can still find news stories about Afghanistan. As I said, they're either at the bottom of the front page or they're inside the paper. It's just not nearly as big a deal on cable news. It's like we've had two weeks of really you know, intense coverage, and now it's time for that to stop. And I can't help but notice it comes with two weeks in which the Biden administration has had brutal coverage, deservedly so, you and I would contend. And the poll numbers for Biden have come down. And it just feels like there's been this attitude amongst TV news producers, the people who basically decide what is the top story. Uh, they've basically decided, okay, that's enough of that. We, we've, we've done that. We're not hitting Biden anymore. Um, and even though there are Americans still over in Afghanistan, there are green card holders. These, these people are every bit as stuck as they were yesterday. They're every bit as desperate as they were yesterday. They're every bit as at risk from being killed by the Taliban as they were yesterday. It's just not big news anymore. You and I had talked about on this podcast, the start of Nightline uh, during the 1979 hostage crisis over in Iran and how wondering if that would be the tone. That's clearly not going to be it. Clearly, America, the, the news media is ready to say, okay, we're done with this story. It's time to move on to these other ones. And I can't look, is it, you know, are these other stories important? Yes, but I can't help but notice they are very much more familiar and comfortable topics. You know, abortion, gun control, um, isn't, you know, isn't Joe Rogan terrible? By the way, Joe Rogan's a grown man. If he decides to take uh, whatever it was that you're fine, right? I, he's, he's probably gonna be fine. He's in great shape. He's probably gonna pull through COVID terrifically. I, I don't really, I don't care that much. You know, I certainly don't care about as nearly as much about the green card holders where I'm getting updates on like once a day or two. And the, it's never, not any good. Joe Rogan's gonna be fine. These people over in Afghanistan, they could die tomorrow. They could be dead by now for all I know. That's what I'm thinking about. So the idea that, oh, you know, do you know what Jim Jordan said on his phone call? Oh my God, I cannot believe. And it just feels like this desperate effort to get Americans to stop thinking about Afghanistan because Afghanistan has been so bad for the president. As I laid this out in a corner post yesterday, um, people don't like hearing things that challenge their sense of how the world works. And if you're, if you're a Democrat, if you're, if you're a reader of the New York Times, a reader of the Washington Post, you watch a lot of CNN or MSNBC, chances are not only that you're a Democrat, chances are you vote for Democrats, and you think Democrats are the good guys. You think Democrats are the ones who have the good judgment. They're not crazy and reckless. They're not, you know, unilateral warmongers like George W. Bush, and they're not nutjob uh, uh, isolationists like Donald Trump. They're the wise, they're smart power as, as Barack Obama did it. And for the last two or three weeks, you've just had this rubbed in your face of the last, you know, that, oh no, these guys are every bit as capable of making terrible errors. These guys are every bit as capable of lying about what's going on on the ground. And I think it got really uncomfortable for a lot of Democrats. And I think they've decided, no, we're gonna stop that. We're gonna turn our eyes away. We're not, we're not dealing with this anymore because it's just too painful. Well, the problem is the situation in Afghanistan is exactly the same it was the day before. And if you go look at international news, you can find a lot of accounts of how bad it is over there. And that's what the second portion of today's Morning Jolt was all about. And there are some. The Wall Street Journal still, look, 
most of these places are still reporting on it. Although you go to the BBC, you go to the Financial Times, you look at Canadian television, which is saying it's good. We're trying very hard to get the Taliban to agree to allow people to leave safely. Greg, wasn't didn't Brian just tell us the Taliban were cooperating? Blinken said they gave their word. I can't believe that it's that's becoming complicated to do this. It's just mm. mind boggling anyway. But yeah, and get ready, get ready, because it's uh, September now. So uh, until this case uh, from Texas actually gets heard, you'll be uh, hearing a lot of hysterical coverage about that, which we'll talk about in the next martini. Uh, but also, as we get closer and closer to the congressional votes on Biden's three and a half, which is a conservative estimate, a trillion dollar um, Democratic wish list here. You're going to be hearing just glowing reports about how everyone's life will be better with free child care and free pre-K and free community college and all that stuff with very little coverage of what that much spending and that much government control will do to our lives. But anyway, uh, there's something much uh, better for your palate than uh, what's being spoon-fed to you by most of the media, and that is what could go into your mouth from Wild Alaskan Company. Uh, You're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters where that food comes from. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild-caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, We've had a chance to sample their salmon. Uh, There's a shellfish allergy in our house, so that means uh, that what we can get from them is a little bit limited, but it's fantastic salmon. Very fresh. Uh, it does come frozen, uh, but uh, you can cook it up any any way you want, and it's always a fantastic uh, meal when uh, we have the Great Alaskan Company salmon. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. You can choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination, and every month there are different specials to explore. Each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Get your nutrition from nature with Wild Alaskan Company. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash martini. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash martini for $15 off your first box. Wild Alaskan with an N. uh, Wildalaskancompany.com slash martini. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. All right, Jim. We... uh, Woke up yesterday to the fact that the Texas uh, legislation that bans just about every abortion after six weeks of pregnancy uh, was allowed to take effect. Uh, the Supreme Court had said nothing uh, for most of the day yesterday. And so even by that point, uh, media figures on the left were pulling their hair out. And we're not talking about just uh, young people here. We're talking about Dan Rather, your old friend. Somehow people still listen to him. Uh, He tweets out, uh, this was actually on August 31st, it's worth noting that many of the same people attacking the Biden administration for leaving women's rights behind in Afghanistan are eager to control women's bodies and choices in the United States. Yes, uh, we talked about Dean Obadala's uh, op-ed over at MSNBC a few weeks ago with that absurd comparison. And now with this Texas law being allowed to... uh, Stand until the court hears it now. It's a five to four decision issued last night, uh, fell along traditional lines, uh, with the exception of Chief Justice Roberts, although on politically charged cases, he's often uh, with the liberals. But five to four. So it gets to stand while the court considers it on its merits. So it's not like this is necessarily 
going to stand. But the fact that it's even going to stand temporarily uh, has the media absolutely apoplectic. Here's Jeffrey Tubin uh, talking about what this will do to the institutional reputation of the Supreme Court. So here we are on September 1st, the first day since 1973 when a state has been able to ban abortion. 1973 is the year of Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court has said nothing. They have allowed the second most famous opinion of the last hundred years after Brown v. Board of Education to essentially be violated, be, be overrun, but they haven't even said a word about it, which strikes me as a real blow against the Supreme Court's institutional reputation, aside from the issue of whether this law is right or wrong. And that was before the Supreme Court officially let it stand until it's heard and ruled on the merits, Jim. So, I mean, we've known for a long time now that there's no issue that the left allows zero wiggle room on uh, more than uh, abortion. So they really are apoplectic right now. And to just watch them lose any shred of objectivity while this plays out is fascinating. So my first thought, Greg, I say this as a staunch pro-lifer. Could CNN not find any woman who wanted to give similar assessment of what the Supreme Court was going to do? <laughs> they really needed Jeffrey Tubin. By the way, we should point out, this is an auditory podcast. You can't see it. But during that entire segment, Jeffrey Tubin's hands were on the desk. <laughs> and I say, you know, like, oh, it's a little bit of a cheap shot. But let's observe there are a whole bunch of reasons that Jeffrey Tubin really shouldn't be the chief legal correspondent for CNN. And he shouldn't be the guy they bring out talking about the Supreme Court, but he really shouldn't be the guy they bring up to talk about abortion because he'd gotten one of his coworkers' daughters pregnant and then attempted to pressure her into an abortion. There are a lot of people who, long before his infamous <clears throat> incident on the uh, Skype or, or video conference, whatever it was, there were people who basically thought Jeffrey Tubin was among the biggest creeps they'd ever encountered. And I'm just gonna think about it. If you get your coworkers' daughter pregnant, and then you try to pressure her into having an abortion. Maybe that's not a firing offense at certain institutions. I do think that, you know, if, were, if I were running a company and I were managerial, I would look at the work of Jeffrey Tubin and at minimum, you know what? That's, that's a guy I'm willing to let test free agency. That's a guy, I'm, if he shows up on another network doing his shtick, fine. I can live with that because I can find somebody who's every bit as good as Jeffrey Tubin, who didn't try, get one of their coworkers' daughters pregnant and who didn't try to pressure her into getting an abortion. Um, you could say, it's very safe to say, can Jeffrey Tubin objectively assess abortion issues considering how it is his you know, first go-to move for when he gets a co-worker's daughter pregnant and he finds himself with the prospect of 18 years of child support payments. Isn't it safe to say Jeffrey Tubin kind of has a, uh, a vested interest in keeping abortion around as his favorite tool, as his get out of jail free card, so to speak? Uh, this seems like, you know, a, a bit of a contradiction there. But even in light of that, and in light, it always was going to be weird to have Jeffrey Tubin come back on air. Having Jeffrey Tubin come back on air to talk about how important it is to keep abortion really is an example that nobody's really paying any attention to what's going on over there at CNN. You knew that the left, and again, they haven't ruled on the merits yet here, and we hope they, they rule on the pro-life side of, these, uh, of, of this case. I certainly do anyway. But they're just looking for any case where they can jump in and go, oh, this court has lost its reputation. It's all about building up to uh, getting more seats on the Supreme Court. They have not given up on this court-packing dream yet. And so the, the next step in that is uh, increasingly oh. uh, delegitimizing the current court. 
Well, you know, I just, it suddenly, you, you put it in terms I could understand, Greg. I just suddenly got it. it CNN was not having Jeffrey Tubin on there as an expert on the Supreme Court and an expert on abortion. Although I guess you could say in some ways he does have some familiarity with that. Um, they were bringing him on as an expert of destroyed reputations. <laughs> and that, okay, now I get it. Now it makes sense. So, okay. <laughs> Oh, so I don't know exactly when these uh, oral arguments are. I know the court begins its new session in October, so I assume it's sometime this fall. But, uh, man, the media leading up to that, the, the day of the oral arguments and all the way to the day we get a ruling and possibly beyond are going to be absolutely insufferable on this. But uh, anyway, we'll keep watching. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. What else is new, Greg? <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lodge podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Very grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a good Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Thousands of Afghan people are desperate to get out of the country, and I'm going to share two of those very emotional stories. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll tell you about two incredibly brave women and their moment-by-moment -moment courage as their country falls apart. This is what's really happening, and you won't hear it anywhere else. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.